Welcome back to the commentary to the Festival of Shavuot. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. If you're following along with the written commentary, we're on the um, top of page 14. This is part D, and you know what? We've got uh, how many more pages left here? Let's take a look. 22 pages, and we're on page 14. We nearly have seven more pages left. Uh, actually, we do have seven pages, eight pages left. I think this might go to a part E, so forgive me for the length of the commentary. We've been talking about a debate over whether or not the Spirit in the New Testament was given within people, contrasted to the Spirit in the Old Testament, only given upon people. In other words, I'm terming it the in versus on debate. We have the Spirit ostensibly resting on people in the Old Testament compared to the Spirit indwelling people in the New Testament. And in our debate, we've examined some passages from the book of Acts as well as First uh, Peter. And what we're finding is that the language is not consistent with the ostensible argument. Supposedly, the Spirit can only be in a person in the New Testament and only on a person in the Old. And yet, we're finding that the language doesn't match. We're finding the Spirit within people in the Old Testament and the Spirit upon people in the New Testament. I'm using the terms Old and New Testaments just for reference sake. Let's pick up my discussion on the top of page 14. What then is the work of the Spirit taught throughout the apostolic scriptures? Simply this, the subsequent empowering of an already saved individual to do things that he normally could not do under his own power. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The crucial key to unlocking, in my opinion, the debate over in versus on, is knowing that the Ruach HaKodesh firstly works in us to bring about regeneration, and then works on us to bring about empowerment to do the will of God. Does that sound rather simple enough? We don't have to relegate the Spirit's activity to one testament or the other, because what that does is it ends up making one testament um, supposedly superior to the other testament. And in reality, we know that's false because it's one unified book. God himself doesn't break up the book into Old and New Testaments. That's man's invention. We need to just throw that terminology out altogether. There is no in versus on debate. In fact, I personally think that we should change our language from in versus on to a more accurate depiction of in as well as on. Okay? The Spirit is within as well as upon us. He's not in versus on. He's in and on. It's not, it's not this or that, which is typically what we might call a, a Greek-Western view of looking at the scriptures, uh, this versus that, or uh, this or that. Rather, Hebraically, we ra we rather say this and that. And so it's not in verses on. I think it's more accurately this, or it's more accurately in and on. The Spirit saves and the Spirit empowers. Right? Am I right? Of course I'm right. I'm not right because I, I, I said so. I'm right because that's what the Torah teaches. The Spirit saves us. And in that saving us, He enters into us. But He also empowers us. He empowers us to live a life supernatural, as it were, in an effort to, to be a witness to God, to be a witness of Yeshua. Supernatural in the sense that it's above human means. He empowers us to do things that uh, are beyond us. And gosh, if, 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 we, if we don't utilize the Spirit's power within this life that we live, then how sad a life we'll live, even though we're saved, we'll be devoid of spiritual power to 
witness to people, to, to live a life that's pleasing to God on a consistent basis. In as well as on, instead of in versus on. Why can't we grasp these two important biblical truths simultaneously? Why do we have to argue and pit them against each other? The Old Testament saints, if I can use that term, were saved exactly the same way as we in the 21st century are saved. By grace, through faith, in the gift of God, namely the Son of God and the Spirit of God within us. That's the bottom line. There's no in versus on debate. The Spirit didn't, didn't, didn't come upon people in the Old Testament only to someday come within people so that they could be saved. The Spirit saved people in the Old Testament the same way He saves people today, by coming into them. Otherwise, you can't be saved. There's no just just think of it this way, okay? There's no regeneration without the Spirit within a person. It's that simple. However, lest I be categorized and and, and compartmentalized as someone who's dispensational or 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 uh, I, I don't want someone to misunderstand what I'm trying to teach here. When it comes to the work of the Spirit in the renewed covenant in the apostolic scriptures a.k.a. Acts chapter 2 and what takes place there. There is an expansion to his work and the purposes according to how God designed the gospel to go from Israel to the nations. So in a very real way, in all fairness, the presence and ministry of the Ruach HaKodesh as we know him today, according to the times of the Tanakh, would not be fully realized until the birth, life, death, resurrection and ascension of Yeshua. Okay? Because the Spirit was sent to bear witness of the work of Yeshua in full measure. And that could, that, that aspect of it couldn't play, take place until history caught up with prophecy. Does that make sense? Read the entire chapter of John 14, but focus specifically on verses 16 through 18 and verse 26. Okay? Of this ministry, speaking of the Spirit and of Yeshua, of this ministry and individual power of the Spirit, Ezekiel prophesied about him in uh, chapter 11, verse 19 and verse 20, and again in chapter 36, verse 25 through, 20, through 29. So, looking into the future, we know that the Spirit was going to do something quite radically uh, different than how he performed his work in the Tanakh, yet it's improper to think of the absence of the Spirit in the Tanakh, or in the time period of the Old Testament. He wasn't absent. Rather, his work was less expansive. Again, um, this uh, uh, Spirit that we're referring to is the same individual Spirit spoken about in Joel 2, 28 and 29, which, if we recall, was confirmed by Peter in Acts 2, 16-18. The Ruach HaKodesh was indeed present in the days of the Tanakh. Okay? He was not absent. Now, that's where the debate usually goes. The Spirit was not present in the Old Testament. He only came upon people. He didn't come within people. No. The Spirit had to be present within the days of the Torah and the days of the Tanakh in order to save people. And in an effort to understand the matter more clearly, we simply couch the language of in versus on in the more accurate language of in along with on, or in and on. So, we're talking about his ministry. Okay, He was present in the days of the Tanakh, and he did empower individuals such as Bezalel and Shimshon, like we read above. Yet, 
if we notice, his ministry was slightly different than that of today because of his unique role in what happened after Acts chapter 2. The Spirit began something new in Acts chapter 2, something that was a mystery to the um, Judaisms of the first century. It was a mystery because they didn't understand how the Gentiles were to be included into Israel, how they were to be included in the family of God. It was only after the Spirit was poured out uh, without measure to the Jewish disciples that they were to be able to, uh, begin to begin to comprehend and grasp this mystery and indeed begin to witness to non-Jewish people in a way that was never before witnessed. Um, perhaps it's best to think of his ministry in the Tanakh as less expansive than as uh, compared to today. Less expansive, by the way, is not to be equated with non-existent. A survey of the passages and wording used in both testaments, I'm using the word both testaments there to, to uh, refer to old and new, will show that the old does not exclusively employ a non, an, an on reading as ostensibly compared to an exclusive in reading in the new. See, that's where our argument goes wrong from the word go. Rather, a survey of the passages and wording used in both testaments will demonstrate on and in being utilized interchangeably to teach that the Ruach HaKodesh both saves, that is to say in, and empowers, that is to say on, and that he does so consistently with the eternal plans and purposes of God the Father. Okay, I think we've settled the matter for now. I'm sure some of you are still going to have questions. I don't have all the answers, but you're certainly welcome to write in and ask. And we'll see if we can discuss it a bit further. But I think I've hit the, um, I think I've scratched the surface on the topic of the debate of in versus on. And with that, let's move on into my commentary. We're at the top of page 15. Let's turn now to um, a, um, a more, a, a more uh, um, detailed explanation of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And this next section uh, is entitled, Controlled by Messiah. To be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is to be filled with Messiah, or to be filled with Christ. The Ruach HaKodesh came to glorify Messiah. That's, that's how he's described by Yeshua himself. He's the comforter. He is the teacher. He is the one who will who will walk with us and talk with us and remind us of the words of Yeshua. And if you remember, the Spirit could not be given until Yeshua left. That's how Yeshua described him. That's an interesting um, description, the way uh, we had to wait for Yeshua to leave before the Spirit could come. Therefore, if you think about it, if I am filled with the Spirit, I am abiding in Messiah. I'm walking in the light as he, Yeshua, is in the light. And the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will cleanse and keep on cleansing me from all unrighteousness. I'm controlled by Messiah because the word filling, in, in, in the term there, filled with the Spirit, the Greek word, pleiro, to fill, the verb there, to fill, means to be controlled or to be filled to the point that usage is imminent and usage is implied. Um, the Greek term pleiro, fill, uh, or fulfilled, as we see it sometimes translated, um, carries with the idea, and I'm going to use the imagery that is drawn from ancient days, the imagery of a ship that's built to house um, sailors. And back in the days where vessels, where, where men sat down in the belly of the, of the, of the wooden hollowed out vessel, 
and the oars stuck out the sides and the men would row the ship you know you've seen some of these ancient sea-bearing vessels to to build the ship and then to have it sitting there in the in the dock of the dry dock wouldn't still on land is to recognize that the ship is not fulfilled because the ship was made to um, to take on the sea and so you have to push the ship off the dock into off the dry dock into the water and even then it's not yet fulfilled because it doesn't have any way to go about it has no locomotion it has no way to traverse the waters only until you fill the ship full of men or sailors able to row the ship then the ship is fulfilled or full it's filled up and it is able to fulfill its role of traversing the sea because it has um, men inside of it to to row the ship back and forth from to and there and so fulfill plerao means to fill up with the purpose of um, of uh, fulfilling the purpose of which whatever vessel it is was, was created it was created hollow and until it is filled with whatever it was designed to be filled with it is unfulfilled okay playing with the words filling there so if I'm controlled by Messiah um, I'm filled with the spirit I'm controlled by Messiah and if I'm controlled not as a robot but as one who is led and empowered by the spirit then the Lord Yeshua will walk around in my body as it were and he will live his resurrection life in and through me and that's what it means to be controlled by Messiah I don't make my own decisions and even when I do my decisions are controlled and influenced by the spirit of Messiah within me the amazing fact this fact that the Messiah lives in you and expresses his love through you this is one of the most important truths of the Torah and, and now I'm just gonna speak to the choir for this next few passages or for this ne these next few chapters the things that I'm going to describe are very well known in Christian circles. They're not as well known, unfortunately, within Judaic circles, for which the mention of the Spirit is not um, taught. And for that reason, because I'm aware that some Jewish people who might not yet be familiar with the filling of the Spirit, I'm going to talk as if I'm basically just a standard Christian for the next uh, few moments. Because I think that the the um, historic Christian church has a lot to teach the historic synagogue in regards to being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. To be sure, if the Judaisms of today and the synagogues of today were to grasp this central truth of walking in the Spirit, their Torah observance would come to life. The standards of the Torah seem so high and so impossible to achieve at times. To be sure, with our carnal flesh, we cannot please God by attempting to follow Torah. I'm reminded of the um, post that my friend Peter made um, to the Messianic Colorado Forum just recently uh, during the uh, Festival of Shavuot, and Pastor Mark commented on it at the uh, service uh, the other night uh, for Shavuot. The post made explains that, and this is according to Paul's um, uh, admonition in Romans. I can't remember exactly which passage. I think it's chapter 8. But in Romans chapter 8, yes it is chapter 8, Paul admonishes us that due to deadness of flesh, we cannot walk in the Torah that we should. We cannot talk, walk into the Torah the way that we should or the way that we're supposed to walk into Torah. And in fact, without the Spirit taking up residence within us, any attempt to please God will be futile. With our carnal flesh, 
We simply cannot please God by attempting to follow the Torah. The Torah will always remind us of how short we fall if we submit to it in the flesh. This is a challenge to my Jewish brothers and sisters who have embraced the Torah of Moshe but have not as of yet embraced the spirit of the Messiah. If we walk in the spirit, then we will walk in the power and the life of the Messiah himself. It is the life of Yeshua living through us that enables us to keep the Torah as it was meant to be kept. That is, is fundamental. We cannot overlook that fact. Does the Torah expect us to be sinless? Of course not. The Torah anticipates our shortcomings and graciously makes provision for them. It provides a means of atonement so that we can continue to walk in a meaningful and genuine and, and dynamic relationship with a holy God. Sin separates us from God. And so the Torah provides a way for us to atone for that sin. To be Torah submissive, to be led by the Spirit, is to avail ourselves of the sinless sacrifice of the spotless Lamb. Only this sacrifice, only this sacrifice, can remove the stain of sin in our hearts. If we had the sacrifice of the animals, we could pull the sin from our flesh, as it were. But without the sacrifice of Yeshua, the stain of sin would forever be within our conscience. Only one man was sinless. That man was Yeshua of Nazareth. And now, through his indwelling presence, his spirit, he wants us to enable all... I'm sorry, he wants to enable all that place their trust in him to live this same supernatural life. So if you're listening to my podcast today, if you're willing for Yeshua the Messiah to live his resurrection life in and through you, you will bear spiritual fruit as naturally as a healthy vine will bear an abundance of fruit. It's that simple. Jesus described it that way. If we abide in him as, as, as fruit abides to the vine or as vine, uh, branches abide to the vine, then we'll bear much fruit because we're abiding in him. It means that the source of the abundant life is found in him and only in him. We cannot manufacture it in and of ourselves. Yeshua puts it within us. Yeshua said, By this my fathers glorify that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. It's a wonderful teaching. You can, you know what? You can be a great preacher. You can be a Christian scholar. You can be a rabbi. You can be a deacon or an elder. You can attend church meetings daily. You can live a clean and moral life. You could even memorize hundreds of verses of scripture. You could direct a choir. You can teach Sunday school. You can teach Sabbath school. But I tell you what, if you are not bearing fruit in the sense that you are drawing others to Messiah, then you better check yourself. You're not filled and controlled by the Ruach HaKodesh according to the Torah. That is the, 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 um, the measuring device by which we can know if we're running dry, or as Mark calls it, whether or not we need an oil change. Uh, I had a good fr rabbi friend tell me, you know, the reason why we need to be filled with the Spirit over and over again is because we leak. <laughs> the Spirit is poured into earthen vessels. And this is true. And in one sense, we do leak. We leak because we're of our humanity. We leak because we're frail and we're fragile and because we're flawed. And the Spirit that's poured into us leaks through the cracks within this frame. 
And in that leakage, we become unaware of, of the spirit seeping out of us, as it were, until we suddenly look down at our oil gauge and we're dry. Another reason we need to be spilt, filled by, with the spirit, I might add, is because we actually pour ourselves out into other people. So we get filled and we pour ourselves out. And then we have to return and get filled again. We get filled, we get poured out. We get filled, we get poured out. As we invest into other people's lives, we're going to get depleted of our own source. And that's okay. God designed it that way. He says, keep coming back. Keep coming back. Come back to me. Come back over and over again. Because I'm the one who will continually fill you so that you can do the work that I'm asking you to do. Some people say, you know, that the, 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 the people who, um, who are uh, talking and teaching Bible studies and, and, and doing other things that, that they call the work of God, you know, they say, I witness for Messiah by living a good life. I just have to be good. And that's a witness of Messiah. And, and to an extent that is true, that living a good moral life does witness of Messiah. You know how some people say, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't bring myself to tell people about Jesus. I just, I think I'll just live my life, and as they see my life, they see Jesus in me, that'll be witness enough. You know what? It's not enough to live a good life. Many non-believers live fine moral, ethical lives. Many peoples of different religions leave, uh, live uh, uh, fine moral, ethical lives. But according to the Lord Yeshua, the only way to demonstrate that you are truly following him is to produce fruit. Which includes, I might add, introducing others to our Savior as well as living holy lives. It's not enough to live a holy life. We've got to do the work of God. The only way you can produce fruit, the only way, is to live through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. There's no other way around it. I, um, I'm saddened as I think um, that uh, a recent a friend, a mentor, a teacher of mine has, has gone on to be with God. He's passed away. I'm referring to Jerry Falwell. Um, he, uh, he's the, he was the founder and the chancellor of um, Liberty University where I attended. When, in fact, when I attended, it was called Liberty Baptist College, LBC. Um, and uh, this was back in the 80s when I, when I attended Liberty. And, and Jerry was a real personable fellow. He was often seen on campus, not just, uh, he wouldn't just show up for Sunday morning, but he was often seen um, uh, walking about campus, stopping and chatting with students. And uh, he was just a real down-to-earth guy. And I, I, um, I really appreciate his, uh, his uh, mentorship. He, <laughs> he stopped and talked to me on a few occasions. And um, he took time to, to, to reach people where they were. And so uh, I say, Jerry, um, you know, uh, Jerry was a good man. And so people, people, you know, in fact, when I was in Lynchburg, uh, the, the whole town of Lynchburg, everyone knows Jerry Falwell. And so it was said of Jerry Falwell that either you loved him or you hated him. But there was no, <laughs> there was no middle crowd. Jerry was just a good guy. He was a mensch. And so I'm going to miss him. So uh, while I was there, I also had a chance to uh, uh, talk to lots of other leading theologians because Lynchburg University, uh, Liberty University as it's called now, uh, is a, a leading theological seminary uh, of, of our day in our nation, and, and rightfully so. And so we, we had lots of, uh, 
well-known speakers that would come and go. And so I asked one of the leading theologians of our time, the dean of a faculty for a famous theolo theological seminary, I don't remember his name at the time, but um, he, was, he was visiting one day, and I asked him if he felt that one could be a spirit-filled person without sharing Messiah as a way of life. This is just a sample question I threw at him. And you know what his answer was? He said, no. And it was emphatic, no. You cannot be a spirit-filled person without sharing Messiah as a way of life. Now, on what basis could he make such a strong statement? Was that just his own personal opinion? Where was he getting this information from? Well, the answer is obvious. Our Savior came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came, to seek and save the lost. And he's chosen and ordained you, if you're listening to my podcast, he has chosen and ordained you to share the good news of his love and forgiveness with anyone and everyone everywhere. You cannot be Messiah-like without sharing the goodness of Messiah, and you can't do it without the Spirit living within you. You know, to fail to witness for Messiah with your lips, if you can speak, is to disobey this command just as much as to fail to witness for him by living a holy life is to disobey his command. We need them both. Our lifestyle reflects Yeshua, but our mouth witnesses for the Master. In neither case can the disobedient believer expect God to control and empower his life, nor can he experience the reality of God's presence and God's blessing, I might add. If you're failing to witness for Yeshua, blessing is not going to come into your life. There's just no other, there's no way around it. There's no two opinions about it. We've got to live our lives for Yeshua. And we've got to witness for him, both in word and in deed. You know, in my position as a Torah teacher, I get to speak at various churches from time to time. And it's great meeting with people. I love it, people. I love it. If, you're, if you have a church and you want to invite me to come and speak, um, contact The Harvest. Go to our website at graftedin.com. Go down to the bottom of the webpage um, and click on the um, Contact Us link and um, contact someone at The Harvest and say, hey, we'd like to get the tour teacher Ariel to speak at our church. And then, of course, just invite me out and I'd be happy to go. But um, I get to speak at from you know different churches from time to time. And one time I was at a church um, and uh, I just got through teaching. I don't even remember what I was teaching about. But a very discouraged student came to me for counsel after one of my messages. Um, just, you know, usually people stop and, and, and ask me questions and such. And for several months, this particular man uh, had spent, well, he had spent at least three hours a day, he said, reading his Bible. And he was praying and he was sharing his faith with others. And he, this had been going on for several months, he said. And yet he had never introduced anyone to, to Yeshua. He never really um, spoke to anyone about coming to know the Savior on a personal basis. There was no evangelism is what he was trying to describe. And you know, after our time of discussion, his problem became apparent to me. And that was this. He confessed that he was operating under his own power. He actually did. He said, you know, I'm doing all that I can. And that's a sincere statement. He really meant it. But, as I began to talk to him, I could tell within my own spirit that he was not controlled and empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. Although he did want to be, he really did. <clears throat> and this was after our service, um, and so there weren't very many people around. And so, you know what, we, we went off to the side, we sat down in a pew, and we began to pray together. Because that's, that's really what we should be doing, is praying with one another. 
And so we prayed together briefly. It was just a brief prayer. Remember, it was just maybe two or three minutes. And by faith, in that brief moment, he appropriated the power of the Ruach HaKodesh on the authority of God's word. It was real simple. We just, I think we just turned to, um, uh, maybe it was a passage in John, or maybe it was a passage in Acts. But he, uh, he went on to, to, to receive, as it were, as he said, the power of the Holy Spirit within his life. And you know what? After we got through praying, I could see on his face that his life was absolutely transformed. There was a joy. There were tears in his eyes because something, or more appropriately, someone, came into his life that day. He was already saved, but he now was, was, was experiencing, as it were, what do we call it, a tangible presence, the tangible presence, a tangible manifestation of the Spirit empowering him, um, the presence of tears. Some people laugh, some people cry, some people shout, some people dance, some people speak in tongues. It's different for every person. And this appropriating, as it were, might be what many, re many are referring to as the second experience of the Spirit. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that it is. It's to move the Spirit from the mental ascent that Yeshua is Lord in the mind to the spiritual affirmation within our very being that He is Kurias, that He is Lord. And that He's not only Lord, that He is Savior, but He is very God. And, and as such, He is the one that is going to empower me to do the things that I can't do on my own. And you know what? That very day, He told me, that very day, because uh, cause what, I, what I do when I usually speak with people at a church is I give them my email address and tell them if they have further questions to write to me and let me know. And you know what? He wrote me back. That very day, he had his first experience of introducing a person to Messiah. <laughs> he was able to witness to somebody and share with them Christ, to use just standard uh, Christian terms. He witnessed to them. Now we always say, you know, we say he led them to the Lord. He led them to the Lord. He didn't save them. But he led that person to, um, uh, uh, well, at least the way he described it in his email. He, he introduced Jesus to someone else. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. We need to be doing that more often. I need to be doing that more often. I'm, I'm teaching myself as I'm listening to my own, my own words here. Um, we need to be doing that more often. We have got to be sharing what's on the inside with those on the outside who don't know. How many people are lost and dying and going to hell and are starving to hear the truth and there's no one to tell them? If you're listening to my podcast today, you have no excuse. You've got to tell them. I've got to tell them. We have got to take Jesus to those people who are lost and we cannot. We cannot do it on our own power. We've got to be filled with the Spirit and then... Jesus will speak through us. You know, when the Spirit comes upon you, not only do you receive a supernatural power for witnessing when you're filled with the Spirit, but your personality, I might notice, also begins to change. This young man I was speaking with, um, he's kind of a kind of a rough individual, if, if you know what I mean. You know, came from a, a, a bad background, a, a rough home life. And uh, as the Spirit came over him, um, I could see him begin to soften. And the language in his email even suggested that, that, that his personality, he wasn't as rough anymore. And you know, that's what happens when the Spirit comes upon you. Our personality changes. We begin to, to, be, to be gentle, or more gentle, I should say, 
or more forceful if we were timid. Either way, God works with us and in us and through us to bring about the change that we need. As you continue to walk in the control and power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the fruit of the Spirit becomes increasingly obvious in your life, not just to you, but to everyone around you. I, I find it interestingly that the Spirit's power changing your personality is very evident to people who don't see you on a day-to-day -day basis, people who can't see you um, all the time. If they see you in spurts, where they see you know from time to time, and, and distance between the two times, then they can really begin to notice a change in your life. This is really also evident in family members. How many of you listening to my podcast have family members how that um, before you came to know Yeshua, they knew you as one person, and then after you came to know Yeshua, after you've come to know Jesus, and the, and the Spirit has come upon you, someone in your family has commented that you're very drastically different. That's a wonderful testimony. And that's a testimony that we should continue to seek. I'm not saying we seek the approval of others, but keep in mind the whole fruit analogy where, where Jesus said that if you abide in me, you'll produce fruit. Fruit is something that can be inspected by others. And so as people encounter you, they're going to see the fruit. And that's what I mean by that. Let me close this section um, with this last statement. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Shaul, Paul, explains, quote, when the Ruach HaKodesh controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, okay? Let me just name off the fruit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen? Amen. At this point, I'm going to call this Part D of my commentary. We're at the middle of page 16. I really only have, I guess, one more section left and about three or four, maybe four or five more pages left to go. So stay with us. We are on a commentary to the uh, Festival of Shavuot, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Stay with us.